Hello and welcome to episode 325 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion <sighs> Seattle Seahawks. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Uh, we have a fun murder series to talk about. I'm We're... exhausted from the weight of everything that's coming in Seattle sports. <laughs> I'm exhausted from the weight of what's about to happen in like two weeks for the next three months. A lot of sports is coming. Sports, A lot of sports are currently happening, but even more sports are coming. Uh, so let's get into it, starting with our beer this week, which is the... Uh, King of the Chill Summer Ale from our friends at Matchless Brewing in Tumwater. King of the Hill Summer Ale from Matchless Brewing. Tumwater, you're making, trying to make me read this. Is that what you're pausing for? Description from our friends at Matchless Beer. I'll tell you what. You go and brew up one of them beers with, with notes in them dangled tangerines and peeled orange citrus, man. Talk about just a hint of grapefruit that tastes as sweet and pleasant like a dangled fresh mown lawn. Just like using them Mootry Comet and Triumph hops, man. Smelling like dangled Satsuma oranges. This one got it all. It's the Mac Daddy of Thurston County. I feel like Hake Hill would probably struggle more with Satsuma. Satsuma. <laughs> uh, that was Boomhauer. Quite a not, uh, not Hank Hill. They they sort of kind of like they went in and out, yes, yes, of multiple characters in there. I feel like neither of them are going to be strong on Satsuma Oranges. Uh, really awesome can here with, I assume some of their brewers in place of the King of the Hill gang. Mm-hmm. How convenient the... that all their brewers are white males. Oh, well. <laughs> I just I can't imagine that from a brewery. Uh, in Tumwater, in Tumwater. It's a reminder, Tumwater. <laughs> Uh, we have several toasts this week. First up, congrats to the Storm's Brianna Stewart, who was named the AP's WNBA Player of the Year after leading the league in scoring for the first time in her standout career. Stewart received six of the ten votes from the AP's panel, with Asia Wilson getting the other four. We'll see if that previews MVP voting, although I am not expecting that to be the case. I think Asia Wilson's going to win MVP, was the point there. What is the difference between the AP WNBA Player of the Year and the MVP? Uh, that one of them is the official award from the league and one of them is just awarded by the AP. And also they call it player of the year, not most valuable players. That probably sends people a little bit more towards the who's just had the best season, which obviously makes you the most valuable. But other people see a distinction between those two things that I personally do not draw. Okay. So I cast cast my vote for Brianna Stewart for the record. Oh, you voted in the official I MVP. Did. You voted for Brianna Stewart. Yeah. Is that okay to talk about publicly? Uh, they didn't tell me not to. Okay. I mean, we did it. We posted our votes on ESPN.com. It was before the ballots were due, but we, we posted them. That's out there. Did you consider Lauren Jackson? <laughs> Has the date come and gone for the storm to sign? The LJ? date is come and gone. They did. <sighs> they decided not to sign anyone. What? They, they chose, chose not, not to race? <laughs> yes. They chose not to run. They ch- chose not to run? Uh, this is, Noelle Quinn, I asked her about this before Friday's game. She said they had t- planned to sign a player. But that player was no longer available because clearly it was Kayla Davis, who they'd had previously on hardship contracts, but signed with Phoenix, where she's getting a lot of playing time. Apparently that's a reference to Calvin Coolidge. Did you know this? Uh, I have read that Wikipedia at some point, yes. (laughs) I do not choose to run. (laughs) But that's how I know it's a run and not race, is that it's actually a political reference. I get get it. Even though in my childhood brain... Well, the episode is called The Race. True. 
That's a Seinfeld episode for those of you who are completely lost by this particular exchange, which again is a tangent to a tangent about the storm not signing Lori Jackson. It's better than the King of the Hill voice. <laughs> With their empty roster spot. Despite so many people when I posted about that possibility on Twitter replying that they should sign LJ. Do you think they would have? If LJ had come to them and been like, hey, I'm down to play in the playoffs, do you think they would have done it? I think yes. The nostalgia alone probably would have been worth it. How close the are vibes would have been impeccable. Like a full hainer here. We never actually thought it was going to happen. No, yeah, we're not. It's not a full hainer. I've been maintaining all along. Is is uh, we have fabu- a non-hainer situation? As fabulous Pelton quotes, quotes would say, "I was standing there, arms folded the entire time." <laughs> it did say <laughs> there was a possible hainer. You said no hainer was happening. And, and there was no no hainer. But we, we had a possible hainer. Lauren Jackson seems very excited about living in Australia <laughs> and preparing for the World Cup, which is her you big thing. You move from Australia to play in like a week of basketball. Well, her two children, are, I don't know if they're coming with her. Oh, to, my God. I would leave my two again, children for anything. <laughs> what about the third? And I would leave the third one, too. <laughs> <laughs> and the other seven to, seven to 12. Uh, <laughs> what about the third one? <laughs> He, Maybe he especially the third one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would leave my two children for two weeks and my third one for much longer. <laughs> uh, love you, babyest fantasy genius. Uh, Counting down the days till school starts. But also, again, World Cup was like the big thing. They're hosting in Australia. So she wasn't going to leave the preparations for that. Despite the fact that... Uh, as he Meg Begore pointed out when I asked her about it, uh, asked her a question about the training camp they went to, that if they make it to the WNBA Finals and he goes the full five games, they would miss, she and Stephanie Talbot would miss the first game of the World Cup. Oh, okay. So, tight timing there. I was wondering what you were asking as he Meg Begore about, about, you're like, so Tristan's been talking a lot <laughs> yeah, about Lauren Jackson. Lauren Jackson or, I feel like I was up there with the first people to talk about this. Oh, 100%. I mean, I don't, Yeah. Yeah, it I was just so. like me watching Hayner versus Big Ten, the Big Ten's own UCLA, <laughs> shredding UCLA, right? I saw that moment. I was the first person to bring up that Jake Hayner was a player, and then we had the whole Hayner saga, and that's how we have the term Hayner now. That is, that is how we have the term. That is, But in, then in the uh, the Pelton cast glossary of terms. Do you think that Hayner isn't in is the it really? cast I'm certain it is. It ha, might ha, be in there under full Hayner. I think it's possible. <laughs> I can't remember because there's a distinction between the full hater and this is only a partial hater at best. Uh, also, no surprise, by the way, that Jewel Lloyd and Brianna Stewart were... Wow, it um, really is in there. Let me read this. Hold on. Hater. In, in King of the Hill voice? I'll tell you what. <laughs> to get your hopes up for something that doesn't happen as when we thought quarterback Jake Hainer would transfer back to UW in December 2021 only to find out that he would stay at Fresno State. Wow. All right. Yeah, of course. Uh, also, Jewel Lloyd and Brianna Stewart were among the, I believe, 20 players who were invited to the USA basketball training camp out of the World Cup. So, uh, again, as with Meg Begore and, and Talbot, hoping to put off the actually play, actually playing for the U.S. national team until after the WNBA finals. I wonder but, how uh, many of these terms we could work into one episode. I mean, that's basically Pelton Kest Bingo, isn't it? <laughs> that's basically the concept. We just don't talk about the Seahawks that much anymore, and there's not a lot of Mariners stuff in here. <laughs> Weirdly, no. <laughs> uh, it does lead off the first term in there is the 1995 yeah. Mariners. Yeah, alphabetically. 
Uh, next up, congrats to substitute Raul Ruiz Diaz from scoring for scoring from the spot in the 70th minute to make the difference in a 2-1 MLS All-Star win over the Liga MX All-Stars on Wednesday, last Wednesday night. Uh, Jordan Morris started for MLS in that game. Also kind of unusual because Raul Ruiz Diaz... Because never uh, did... Sounders players won oh, no. a soccer game. Oh, no. oh dear, that, your, your take is aging well, unfortunately. <laughs> I hate when that happens. Uh... Raul Ruiz never takes the penalties. You're going to be the... very upset if my take from today age as well. Oh, dear. Raul Ruiz never takes penalties for the Sounders because they have Nico Ladero, who is perfect in his MLS career on penalties, wow. but took it in the All-Star game. That's very odd. <laughs> kind of a strange thing. I'm trying to think of... There's definitely like a corollary to that. Like... Of somebody who has like a teammate that is just like slightly better than them at something, but they're also elite at it. Yeah, there's there's something in there. We'll get to it. We'll find okay, it. Great. It's like Sam Haggerty being in the same outfield with Julio. <laughs> <laughs> but no, because they would both be on the AL All-Star roster, so That's it true. doesn't work. That's true. Uh, congrats to OL Reign coach Laura Harvey, who became NWSL's all-time winningest coach with her 82nd career victory on Sunday. More on that match later. Uh, congrats to third Pelton brother Allison Lucan, who will join the Kraken's broadcast team full-time this Hello. season after being part for home games. I do not think I was part of that team. interview. You were not. Okay. <laughs> uh, they're also adding national analyst Eddie Olchek to the broadcast booth alongside John Forsland and JT Brown. Olchek's son, Nick, will also be part of the broadcast. And it's a, a big family affair for the Olcheks because Eddie's brother, Ricky, was already assistant GM for the Kraken. So... A lot of old checks involved, but uh, a big gift for them. He's he was partnered on. He was part of Turner's number one broadcast crew after being part of NBC's top broadcast crew when they had hockey. Uh, UW volleyball ranked eighth in the AVCA preseason there poll tops among Pac-12 teams. It feels too early to be thinking about volleyball, but I guess we're not that far away. <laughs> yes. All right. Lastly, it's our second call for Peltoncast Fantasy Football 2022. Email us at peltoncast at gmail.com if you want to participate and haven't already. Uh, I've gotten a lot of replies thus far, so look forward to keeping those coming. And if you email this and didn't hear back, you there is room for everybody. Uh, just didn't reply individually as yet. Am I in the Champions League by default? I think you are by the two sweetest words in the English language. By default? Because I, one of us earned two, teams? two spots in the Champions League. <laughs> well, you had more teams than I had. You had double the amount of chances. I don't know if I did. I have more teams last year. If you made it in, I was only in one league. Oh, you were only in one. Wait, really? I think. Oh, okay. I don't know. We, we only had three leagues last year. Yeah, but usually we compete against each other in one league, and I thought we did in the Champions League. You were in the Champions League last year, right? I don't think I was. But I remember you screwing up two drafts, <laughs> not just one. <laughs> I think you actually might be right. I think I might have screwed up two drafts. Because your band got COVID right before their tour was about oh, to start. Oh, yeah, no, that was actually, oh, my God. <laughs> you forgot that feels like so Doesn't long it? ago. Wow. It's great because now COVID is over. Yeah, that was, yeah, no football players that we'll talk about today got COVID. No. Right before the not. thing happened when they something good was about to happen. Yeah. Wow. I That was like, yeah, that was a long time ago. So knock on wood, that doesn't happen before this year's draft. I, I mean, it just would the impact wouldn't be this. I also have no bands going on tour right. in that time period. All the bands were going on tour this time last year. They really were. No, I'm like, fantasy I'm like so, bad. so mentally in a better place. I've done not like any research aside from reading Danny Kelly's tweets. But you know the names. Every single one of us <laughs> has read. 
precisely every single person is right. I mean, maybe this will come up later as we talk about the uh, Seahawks preseason game. But have you heard of this George Pickens guy? Oh, yeah. I've actually heard of George Pickens. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we have no food on the on the rundown this week. Again, <sighs> some of us have failed to eat any barbecue. Well, I wouldn't say I failed to eat any barbecue. I made a whole brisket on Sunday. That is true. Yes, you're making your phenomenal. own brisket. If I'm breaking that, it was that, excellent. That is traditionally like part of this is we try to make our own. Like I made my own teriyaki. We didn't do it. I don't think we ever with fried chicken. Really, you should. I th- I thought I had some left. You should have had it. It was the best brisket I've ever made. And then I got um, Beecher's mac and cheese. Beecher's world best mac mac and cheese. And then, so I had it initially with the brisket on the side, or the mac and cheese on the side. Day two, heated up the brisket, mixed it all together, made a Beecher's World Best Brisket Mac and Cheese. Thank you. You're telling me wow. that I didn't eat any barbecue? I competed harder. At, and then okay, literally for lunch, I made- search I for made, any barbecue. I searched right here in my own kitchen. And then, the, <laughs> Are the, you nominating your own brisket? <laughs> you putting the, it up there? The next, the next meal that I had after that, brisket tacos. I mean, that all sounds delicious. I can't dispute that. Then I drank some Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> oh, that was a lot of brisket, it sounded like. So as a result, that takes us directly into your favorite segment. Wow, that feels way too fast. It does. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariner's hot takes coming at you. Play by Carlos Santana. This Mariners season has been so unabashedly fun. Think about everything that has happened this year. We have Julio's rookie year. The most important Mariner since A-Rod, Ken Griffey Jr. That, that timeline feels like it excludes someone. It does. The brawl on Anaheim, which ended the Angels and made Jesse Winker an icon. A 14-game win streak played by Carlos Santana. The rise of Sam Onofrio Haggerty, the largest nucleus of Italian players since John Marzano. Paul Sorrento on those two teams. Now there's three with Casali. A showdown with the Yankees stretching late into the night. The Mariners trading for the first true ace pitcher since King Felix. Even the back-to-back Angels meltdowns this week. Plus tonight with one of the most memorable nights ever. Losing. You think this is where the take is going, but it's not. Losing two-plus innings to a Root Sports glitch. Jose Suarez throwing over 2,000 straight pitches. That's an MLB record. Sometimes there's glitches in the computer. I almost went there. Like, seriously, this is the kind of thing we'll be reminiscing about on the Peltoncast 20th anniversary. Like, we will be here. We were talking about that game that stretched, like, against the Red Sox, right? The 19-inning game, yes. We're going to be talking about the glitch game way into the future. (laughs) And now we have, like, the audio to go back to. I absolutely do not blame bandwagon jumping Mariners fans because this shit is fun. And that's what baseball is supposed to be. Also because we unashamedly are them. Honestly, I've been I've been on the bandwagon longer than you. Fair. Honestly, it's fun for the first time since maybe 1995. But I also do not blame Mariners fans for being concerned. Because with great potential comes great fear. And what was a constant of Mariners baseball in the 90s? Disappointment? Earthquakes. Oh, no. That's right. <laughs> we are long Long overdue for an earthquake during a Mariners, a home Mariners game. A mild one, mind you. 
And I know I'm tempting fate here, but it felt like that shit was happening all the time when listening to Dave Niehaus. And the last time Seattle had an earthquake of any note? 2001. 2001, you'll recall. Also, the last time the Mariners made the playoffs. I'm not saying I want this to happen, but I can feel that earthquake in my bones because the next time Seattle reaches 4.5 on the Richter scale, it's not just going to be because of the most recent playoff victory in two decades. It's going to be something a little more powerful. (laughs) Wow. You told me like... I'm going in a strange direction. And that definitely was one. Was, were there actually like multiple games? Two earthquakes. There were two earthquakes in Seattle in like within like a two-year span. I mean, I I agree that there were multiple uh, earthquakes that could During be During Mariners games. I, I only remember though. There was the one where Dave Niehaus famously ran out of the booth. Opposite the Sonics playoffs. Correct. Against the Kings, right? Where yes. they, they got the monkey off their back. But then I think the previous season... There was also an earthquake. You remember we were sitting in our living room? Yeah, that was the earthquake, yes. That that us and our cousin David were just ran around in circles when there was an earthquake going to a door. Literally like that. that has not happened since two thousand one. Even like a mild earthquake, really, that people would have felt. I mean, it is true. I personally have experienced an earthquake in that span. In Las Vegas. Okay, yeah, you were there, yeah. right? For Zion. Yeah, Zion made the earth shake and then Kawhi and PG did it later that evening. Uh if you think Julio Rodriguez doesn't have that kind of power, <laughs> Sam and Nofrio Hagerty does not have that kind of power, you are mistaken. Well, I mean, this will be an all-time Nestor Tristan, I suppose, if it happens. <laughs> Hopefully you get very mild, but noticeable. Uh, the Mariners, after that epic 13-inning, one nothing victory over the Yankees. That I can't we, believe that was last week. I know. It feels like a, a, good, it feels like a long time ago that we semi-emergency potted about, then took the series with a 4-3 win Wednesday afternoon with Sam Onofrio Hagerty taking center stage. In Hello. That uh, then Julio Rodriguez returned. I don't know Friday. if I would exactly say. I think oh. Carlos Santana. He hit the home run for the first Yeah, he, the hit, he hit the first, up the first home run. Was, Carlos Santana hit the home run to take the lead. He did, yes. That was played by Carlos Santana as well. Julio Rodriguez then returned Friday in, the, in at Texas, and the Mariners probably lost two of three against the Rangers. It was just really weird. Strange I, vibes. I also was thinking of this of like, it, it was one of those moments where Scott Service sort of said this. He gave him the Pete Carroll, toughen up out there, folks, right? Like, I know that you're babies, you're Mariners fans, you're used to losing, you're scared all the time. But, like, the team's gonna lose sometime. And they lost two weird games against the Rangers. Like, ultimately, they probably should have swept that series. And it was just two very random circumstances that they didn't. It was like, there was nothing that was fundamentally changed. Every game matters at this point. But I saw that series and I was like, sometimes you lose in baseball. I mean, the thing is, the Mariners are still incredibly well positioned after these back-to-back wins against the Angels. Their playoff odds at Fangraphs up to 88.5%, and they now have the best projection of any AL wildcard team, which is important because the top wildcard will host the best-of-three series against the second wildcard under the current format and host all three games of it. So, Host all three games? No. Did we? I thought they we did home. That. It goes... I thought we were determined it was all three games. Didn't we look this up last week on the pod? No. There was a conversation just yesterday. They go, I think they go. All right. Well, we'll, we'll need further research on this, apparently. Uh, I can't remember what it is. Jeff Passon tweeted about it earlier. I'll, I'll go look that up. Maybe you do host all three. But 
Apparently, so Lookout Landing has been terming the Mariners as playing chaos ball all year. And there was no greater example of that than against the Angels on Monday night when they have Ham Swaggerty in a pickoff between third and home. And then the pitcher falls down, unable to back up the plate. Hagerty scores. Rudder gets around to third. Rudder gets to second. And then more more infield hits and errors commence. It was just truly an incredible, iconic sequence of terrible defense from the Angels. It was pretty wild. Like It was actually memorable how bad it was. And the faces of the Angels fans. That's who we were not that long ago. Exactly. Except we didn't care. Not you and me. <laughs> <laughs> We were here talking about the Sounders or we whatever, <laughs> previewing the Kraken season, talking about the Kraken breaking ground, whatever the hell we were doing, right? But that's that's who we were in Seattle. We felt those Angels fans' pain oh, more yeah. than any other person could feel their pain. Especially because you know how it felt after all this time. The Mariners are actually like the Angels are actually like the worst version of the '90s Mariners, right? Like the '90s Mariners at least made the ALCS once. It felt fucking great to see it. <laughs> There was no sympathy for the Angels' devil. Like, seeing that happen after everything, especially Shohei choosing to play in Anaheim, making that decision, and just the failures. They're not the worst version, because the Mariners had way more better players than the Angels have had at one time. But still, to have, like, two of the very best players in baseball and not even, like, sniff the playoffs. But the Mariners had, like, ten, like, truly great 90s players at the same time they had like four or five generational level players and then also a lot of good players around them uh this jeff passon tweet appears to be about the division series in the uh, the championship series that there are no longer off days oh, bet- before the final okay. games of those i, I was don't curious think it's about relevant that to the uh, I, I didn't round. read that right yeah okay so you host and those every, wild, wild card game. series are on three consecutive days. So I'm pretty October sure October seven, eight, nine, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure those are all going to be at the single site. Okay, that well, was the weekend that I talked about possibly going to Slam Diego, and I was like, a it would be fun if the if the Padres were hosting a series. But I, this is where again I'm like, wait, the Padres aren't winning the NL West, and then you remind me, oh, they play in the same division as the Dodgers. Well, also their <laughs> second best player was suspended for eighty games. I'm I'm aware. I heard about it. He's like if Sam Onofrio Hagerty was suspended <laughs> for 80 games. No, different, because we've gotten used to Sam Onofrio Hagerty's production, <laughs> whereas they haven't gotten it all season. That's true. From Tatis Jr. But uh, I legitimately was like, I don't think I can like do a work trip this weekend because I might have to watch playoff baseball. I'm going to be in, in Mexico that week, week. so... It's going to be weird watching play, like trying to watch playoff baseball in Mexico. So, are we going to do international emergency pods? It's quite plausible. Wow. It'll be our first ever our first international ever. emergency pod. We've done one from Hawaii. That's actually still part of the United States. I'm aware. Yeah. That's why I was that's why I said it was our first one. I was just noting that it was like our I guess it was probably wasn't a I don't know if it was our longest distance. We've done from one from the East Coast at some point, right? I don't know. I buy coastal. You're saying an emergency pod when I was in Hawaii? Yes. Okay. Yes. Have uh, you seen the latest on that, by the way? On Hawaii or? On conference realignment. Maybe we can talk about that later. I, I have not seen this. So. It, it seems like Notre Dame is signing a new deal with NBC. NBC. It's, it's a very strange turn of events. And I don't know if I really understand what Notre Dame is thinking. But. Right, well, the other thing we need to talk about on the Mariners. Okay. Topic. 
538 <laughs> posted a story earlier this week where they used our old friends out of the park baseball. Uh, you know, I've won a couple of championships in our out of the park baseball league. Have that you? I used to be a part of uh, the front office baseball league. Uh, running 15 simulations of the remainder of Julio Rodriguez's career to get an idea of just what Julio might do after this precocious start, where he's already up to 19 home runs as a rookie after after his one earlier Tuesday evening. The average simulated career for Rodriguez <laughs> resulted in 3,000-plus hits, 650-plus home runs, a total that would rank him, I believe, just ahead of Ken Griffey Jr. in the top 10 all-time. Uh-huh. The best results, though, this is where it really gets off the rails. Uh, 3,938 hits. Okay, almost 4,000. Sure, sure. And 1,020 home runs. <laughs> Not just breaking the record, but beating it by a third, I believe. <laughs> Pretty much. I re- I really loved reading about these simulations because they seemed it was just like when KJR did the uh, fake World <laughs> Series against the Expos. That's how accurate these simulations were. It's like you wouldn't believe who won the fake World Series that they made up from the Seattle-based radio station. Uh, yeah, that was. I don't know about those ones. In his in his uh, best year, he also broke Babe Ruth's record of wins above replacement as yeah, well. Yeah, that's correct. 199 war, which was a record. The other best simulation, uh, his totals that were also MLB records included 2,622 RBI and 2,521 <laughs> runs scored. Look, they when they were talking about in, in that story, obviously the idea of running 15 simulations in a video game is not something that should probably be taken very seriously. Uh, I always remember out of the park, like everything sort of being regressed down though. kind of muted yes uh, i don't know about that necessarily i'd have to go back and see if i the front office baseball league record book still exists there were some pretty big totals back in the early days run run scored were fairly inflated well i also well that was you know you know were, i mean yeah we started in 2001 i think so yeah, that was the year people were scoring runs back then yeah but the other thing that i remember is that players would often like you'd have again as a person who's played a lot of out of the park baseball you would have like a superstar player or whatever, like their little like uh, uh, boxes that show their ability would go all the way up through red right. or whatever, like blue, green, yellow, red or something like that. And you'd have them all maxed out. You'd have a player. And then you'd check it like over time and they would always get worse. Like you never had a player who would just like either meet their potential or I used to always get Ricky Weeks. He was like a big prospect at the time. Every prospect from when I used to play. See, I think I played it before they had real players. Oh, really? In that era. I was playing in like 2005, and I would go trade for all the best prospects, none of whom ended up being good MLB players, <laughs> but like, which shows something about prospects, but like none of, none of them ended up was being... Was Justin Smoke one of those prospects? He, I actually think Justin Smoke <laughs> might have been. I definitely traded for Justin Smoke and Jesus Montero at some point, but like, it, it would just, everybody would get muted. So I was pretty surprised to see that they had all of the I mean, it's also like... You know, fifteen evolutions of out of the park baseball since then. So who knows yes. where they've gone? What, thing, since what then. things are what things are like in there now? But I don't. It seemed uh, pretty reasonable. To yeah, me. very plausible. Very plausible. There were some stats though in that five thirty eight piece about like Julio where he to, ranks yeah. at his age. Where I was like, oh shit, because I don't really think of him as a power hitter. Right. I actually meant to include. Wait, the guy who before I started talking about earthquakes, I the... meant to also talk about Julio and the home run derby as being a fun thing. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, and then earthquakes. I mean, Griffey always said he wasn't a power hitter either, right? I mean, 
But Julio, by the way, I mean, the difference is, I don't know if you've noticed this, it feels like there's a lot of swings lately where he swings and misses and ends up in the other batter's box, and it's like, oh, man. He's trying? Yeah. Yeah. Which, it's working. I'm not disputing the choice. I'm just saying it's hard to argue at this point. That I was not so like ready for hitter. yesterday for him to hit back-to-back jacks with himself when he was robbed of a home run. Today should have been his 20th. He was absolutely robbed of a home run that was definitely fair. And then uh, I've seen some angles. It's like the Zapruder film, trying to see whether that ball was fair or not, which is kind of wild that there's not really like a definitive camera to be seen on whether a baseball... Well, you know, baseball isn't spending very much money on this operation. Can we so. get a foul line cam? The pylons can have cameras. Why can't we get a camera on the foul pole? I mean, the foul pole is much higher, I will say, on that one. Uh but the, the, there was also the one in Texas that he hit that kind of was over the foul, fair pole. And they called it foul? Yeah. I did. Was that this last weekend? I think so. Oh, I don't think I saw that. Yeah. How was the national, by the way? It's pretty good. Just pretty. Is that all you saw was the national? Did you see Japanese breakfast? Yeah, I saw Japanese breakfast. I saw Animal Collective and Japanese breakfast before that. Wow, you're there for long. Did you talk to anybody? No, no. <laughs> okay. Not, no. Did you recognize anybody? I think I might have seen your your boss, but I don't know him well enough that I was going to like go up and say anything. <laughs> He's really, really tall. He is. Yeah, you would have recognized. He was him. wearing a Mariners hat, so I was like, was it oh, a light blue Mariners hat?" I don't know if it was, I I don't remember the color. Okay. This was a couple of days ago. He wears that all the time. I don't think the National is like the world's most hype live band. Uh huh. So it was interesting. The crowd kind of thinned out for the National, even though you said that they really? drew, that Sunday well, was the best ticket day. The, I knew that was the highest song day. I didn't. Right. You can't. People didn't say who they were there to see. So maybe people were there to see Japanese breakfast. So I was able to like get up to the fence and have a better view for the end of the national. Because you I stayed did. strictly in the VIP area. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you weren't going on the ground. I, I walked around there a little bit okay. just to see the vibe. Did you use the drink tickets? Yeah. What'd you get? Uh, uh, I this got, is just us having a conversation? Yeah. <laughs> Mac and Jack's. Oh, nice. I intended to eventually switch to Rainier, but they ran out of Rainier wow. by the last time I went up there. there All we they go. had was Mac and Jack's. Wow. What is Day In, Day Out Festival? Pelton Cast Live Show? <laughs> I know. I thought we were the only ones that sold out of Rainier Tall Boys. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a great festival. I had an awesome time on Friday and Saturday. I was like kind of legitimately shocked at how much fun I had at it because I feel like I haven't like enjoyed being at a music festival in a really, really long time. But the setup was pretty awesome. And yeah. like seeing turnstile, the crowd was pretty fucking incredible. I applied my Crocs in a sport mode to go into the pit. <laughs> Wait, what? I did. I think Japanese breakfast was kind of like that too. You know, Japanese breakfast, like the crowd was into. Very some, into. Sometimes you have these moments where you're like, there's this band that is like an amazing band and I'm seeing them at the absolute peak of their powers, right? Like the national now is on the like, they're, they will never be as big as they were like after the boxer came out or whatever. Like maybe they'll have more. You think fans. The boxer was the biggest thing, guy. You don't think? Well, it I don't. Was... I don't. You would probably know better than me, but like, I don't yeah, know the national. It's that well. weird because like, I I don't know the songs on the boxer that well, other than "Mistaken for Strangers," which might be my favorite national song. Did they play it? They played it super early. What was interesting is like all my favorite national songs they played like in the beginning of the show. In the back half, I didn't know as well. Oh, "Trouble Will Find Me" is the biggest one, I think. That's yeah. I'm thinking. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So, but I mean, that's like 2013, right? So it's been like. I need my girl. Like when they played that on, 
the mini Kaling project, like the, the mini project, like that's when the that's national were at the peak of their yeah. powers. Yes. Uh, but you understand what I'm saying? Like you see an artist where you're like, they've, they've crested. But it's yeah. also like dad rock. Like how, how excited are people going to get about But no, that's rock? not what I'm saying. I'm saying when you see an artist I, and, I on that saying, yeah. tour, when you're just like, this is like Turnstile cannot, they can be a bigger band, but they can never be a more exciting band than they are right this second. And they were playing mostly songs from Glow On. And it was just like every single person there was just like, we are so fucking hyped to see this band right now. You know what I mean? I'm trying to think if I've ever seen anyone that I would really describe that way. I'm not sure. There were two times at festivals where I, not with bands that I work with, where I was like, I have to go into the pit. And it was seeing Japan Droids right when Post Nothing came out. And it was just like, it was, they were, it was opposite Sonic Youth at Capital Block Party. And I was like, Fuck Sonic Youth. I have no interest. I also booked the show, so. Uh, <laughs> but it was like it was like a small and mighty crowd to see Japan Droids, and it was just like every single person. They literally could not care more about anything besides that band in that moment. It was just like you needed it, you know. Because, because I think like my favorite festival experience, probably like from that standpoint, was catching the weekend, like right when he was leveling up when he at was Bumbershoot. at Bumbershoot. They got they got the weekend at the exact right perfect time. time. Yes, but was that the height of the weekend's career? Like obviously not. Like we're gonna see the weekend in a I'm week saying. here. It's not necessarily and, the height of their career, but it's, it's where like, everyone else everyone this is. This is like Apex it. Mountain. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, oh no, it's but, as confusing as Apex Mountain. The moment when you're just like, this is this yeah. is it. Like that. It, the weekend might have qualified then. I feel like the weekend now has so many songs. You know what I mean. And it's going to be a very different experience watching him in Lumen Field than it was in Memorial Stadium at Buffer Shed. It's kind of wild take, taking Luca to that because I, I like forgot that I we took him to that. Luca learned some words that day. <laughs> it was pretty funny. I, I feel like I've been to a lot of those shows. I'd have to sit and think about exactly what they were. But like those moments, and that's what it was. for. I feel like Japanese Breakfast was that situation. And Seeing so, Muna on a Friday too, it was just like, Damn, people are hyped on Muna right now. I, I chatted you that uh, more artists need to incorporate Bengi a Gong on stage as part of their uh -huh. performance. I just really I did not respond to that. Oh, who, who was Bengi a Gong? Japanese Breakfast. Really? Yeah. It's part of I forget the name of the, I I keep forgetting the name of the song, uh, but one of the I'm the, anti Gong. Sorry. Oh, it was quite good. It's part of Paprika from from the most recent album. So, and then at one point later in the show, too, I, I don't remember what the other song was. I assumed that was the national, and I was just like, Are no. you kidding me? No, that's not Dad. their That is not their vibe at all. Dad? Dad? <laughs> that, that is their vibe. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway, no, I, I was pretty impressed. Maybe uh, it, it was quite, I understand that it's the festival more catered to us than Capital Block Party is, but like Capital Block Party is just like, it, there's so many people and it is so crammed in, right? Like, yeah, I don't actually enjoy going to main stage at block, at block party whatsoever. I only want to be at the Vera stage. I think the, the setup at day in day out, it was just like, they could have the same amount of people. They probably had more people watching the national than are at the main stage for many artists. Yeah. Weirdly, it turns out that like a wide open central city space park is actually better designed for it. Than I think it's awesome. It also felt like block. being at Bumbershoot. It was like, 
it was like bummer shoot, but the setup was even better because the stage was facing the right way instead of being in the VIP area on the flag pavilion and then looking at the back of the stage and not seeing anything and just having to hear Third Eye Blind. You can actually also Third Eye Blind was playing. It's kind of the difference between the two festivals. Not exactly a band at their But also, moment. like, the, the one thing, I mean, the cool thing about Bumbershoot and the terrible thing about Bumbershoot is Explosions of the Sky was playing at the same time as uh, Death Cab for Cutie. Yeah, they were the same time as Death Cab. And it was like, I have to choose between these two. I want to see these both. Come on. But no, that was my favorite thing about Day In, Day Out. It was like, I left all my friends who were, no LCD sound system. Um, but I left every single person who I was with to go down to the pit for turnstile. And it's like, all right, I'll see you in a little bit. It wasn't like Bumbershoot where it's like, maybe I'll catch you later. It was just like, I'm just going to go there. I'm going to be in the turnstile pit and then I'll be back and see you. I left in the middle of the set to go grab a beer because I learned you could take beers from the VIP area to the stage. It was very important. Like I had to like explore. <laughs> that this. was very important. It was, a, it was a sandbox element. Well, I was trying to figure out whether I could get cookies, great problems to have. cookies fried chicken. But the cookies fried chicken was not in the 21 plus section of you the non You could not venture over there. It just was going to be a lot of waiting. There was a very long line for cookies. Okay. Well, it is a national show, so. <laughs> so I just decided it was too much effort at some point. I understand. But like I mid-set, I just like went, grabbed a beer, came right back. I missed one song. It was Blackout. I was pretty upset. But I'd already committed to leaving. So I was just like, it, was, it felt very casual. I agree with that. You know, it was more like being at Marymore than it was like, it was like being at Marymore, but not everybody was sitting down annoyingly. Right. Yeah. People were standing up. Yeah. I thought it was great. All right. You know who's not great? You know who I was watching? <laughs> that my... expert level transition. <laughs> you know who was watching on my phone? Well, I was between sets at day in, day out. Was the Seattle Sounders who suffered their sixth Every match. Every person was... watching, excited about the National, was watching the Sounders <laughs> match. <laughs> Somber and mood all, fell and upon yet, the crowd. And yet we all have beards. Weird. Yeah. Uh, six loss in their last eight matches at home Sunday against Real Salt Lake. In early Real Reed, yes, apparent goal was overturned by VAR. We have always hated VAR. RSL then opened the scoring in the 32nd minute with the Sounders back line caught out of position. Minutes after Albert Rushnak equalized against his former team in the 62nd minute, RSL got the eventual winner from Andrew Brody. Sounders dominated possession. Outshot RSL 16-8, to eight, but puts just three shots on goal in this one. Uh, the Sounders now, just four teams have more losses than their 13 this season in MLS. Somehow just six teams have more wins than their 10. So they're actually like still hanging in the playoff picture because the win-loss combo is better than they just do a not draw. pair of draws. No, they're very they win anti draws. Yeah, I kind of like it. Uh, somewhat, OL Reign has plenty of draws. Sounders have no draws. Uh, so somehow still just a point out of playoff spot in the Western Conference, albeit now down to eighth on the wrong side of the playoff line in points per match. And if you break it down statistically, uh, the expected goals per match via American soccer analysis... Sounders' offense still similar to last season when they were good, but their expected goals against have gone from 1.03, which was second lowest in MLS, to 1.43, which is closer to the bottom than the top of the league. What is what is the difference? Who's not there? Well, Joao Paulo is injured, uh-huh. and they've certainly missed him a lot. Like He obviously was a key part of their run to the CONCACAF Champions League title, was injured his ACL, suffered an ACL injury that ended his season in that championship match of the CCL. Uh, the other, now, the other big difference is last year they were playing a back five 
three center backs and two wing backs. This year they've tr- moved back to the more traditional four-man back line most of the time, and it's been bad. Why don't they change that? That's a fair question. I don't have a There's no for rule that. that they can't play a back five. They, I mean, they have at times, but especially like on the road, they were very good at like they're just going to, you know, they might they'll draw a lot on the road and win at home. Yeah, it's a good formula. Do that. It was like when the Mariners didn't have Sam and Ofrio Haggerty in the lineup, oh. and it was just like you know you could, there's no rule against having him in the lineup. You could just play your best hitter. They let you play players as many games as you want. I mean, you know, you need to get Sam and Ofrio Haggerty some rest. I understand. Maybe I understand. DH him. Uh, but he's such a good defender too. It's true, and such a good base runner. Next two <laughs> matches. That steal of third was that was oh. incredible. But he was the one who caused the chaos for the Angels defense. Starting with the throw down to second when he wasn't even running to second. That got into center field and allowed him to get to second. Amazing! <laughs> what a moment. Uh, next two matches critical for the Sounders as they play back to back on Friday night against teams. Not not. Back-to-back Friday nights, not back-to-back on Friday night, against teams who are one point ahead of them in the Western Conference standings starting this Friday at LA Galaxy. Uh, Still led by Chicharito, but uh, his production down this year, just 10 goals after scoring 17 in 21 games last year to rank third in MLS. And instead, it's 23-year-old Dejan Jovalich, who plays primarily as a reserve, who has been really key for the Galaxy, scoring nine goals thus far off the bench. So. Why are the Galaxy not as good as LAFC? <sighs> That's a good question. It's not like they don't spend money, but they don't spend as much money as LAFC anymore. Okay. And they're just kind of like, they're MLS 1.0, and LAFC is MLS like 3.0, Okay. I think. They're still waiting for Landon Donovan to come back and <laughs> save them. <laughs> David Beckham, Bruce Arena. Do that door. <laughs> So, yeah, they've been kind of middling for a long period of time, despite having a pretty decent payroll. Oa Rain got their most dominant win of the season on Sunday. The only win for Seattle sports is uh, Fabulous Pelton Quotes was talking about the return of the Kraken curse. And Oa Rain just it's proved bar- that. It's buried. We're burying the Kraken curse. I'm not, like, I'm not like completely buried. In. The new curse is sadly Sue Bird. And also not having earthquakes. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's been pointing this out. No one has pointed. It's very true. No one has pointed this out. <laughs> I have not heard a single person mention this. Uh, Megan Rapino assisted Rose Lavelle. Mariners have not made the playoffs since there hasn't been an earthquake. It's also like a very fragile definition of what qualifies as an earthquake. Uh, like a 4.0 or greater in, in the greater Seattle area. Like what did the beastquake actually rate at? Tiny, nothing. I don't know. The Beastquake isn't a real earthquake. I'm aware. The Beastquake, like, registered on the Richter scale. But there's also, like, small earthquakes all the time that we don't actually feel. I didn't feel the one in 96, even though I was, like, legitimately sitting, like, lying on the floor watching the Sonics game in my bedroom on the ground. I think I felt it. I was at Michael Roddy's house. Sometimes these things are, you know, it's pretty random. You should have been at Michael's Michael Roddy's house. Anyways, apparently Megan, there's like 3.6 earthquakes all the time. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Megan Rapino assisted Rose Lavelle on the Reigns opening goal uh, on a throw-in, and then scored two herself before leaving in the 75th minute after having her first goal of the season last week. By that point, the Reign held a 4-1 advantage, having added a fourth via own goal 
after Gotham FC got its only goal in the 71st minute. Reign had 20 shots to just nine for Gotham, uh, which is still struggling. The new owner, Super, has not yet taken uh, this team to the, that team to the next level. Rain, there's, a, there's a big, big difference between 4.0 and 5.0. Well, because like Richter scale, 4.0 to 5.0 is 10 times greater. So it's not surprising. You look at 5.0 and it's just like, I mean, there hasn't been one that wasn't in Canada in 21 years. Yeah, in 2001. That's, that's like the earthquake. Yes. Right? I mean, that was the biggest earthquake since the... But then 27 years ago, 60s, 5.1, right? that's the one we're talking about, right? Uh, okay, yeah, that's probably... Center in Des Moines, Washington. That was, but that would be 1995. 1990s. The, the, the one 27 years ago in Des Moines was the one that we felt yes. at our house. It was a Saturday night. 5.1. was the weekend, weekday night when the Sonics were playing in Sacramento. Uh, Seattle Storm. Wait, so that didn't register at 5.0? Apparently not. Unless it was this Lake Marcel Stillwater earthquake. That was 26 years ago? Yeah. Then probably. That was probably it. Yeah. It's kind of wild how long it's been. <laughs> Not to tempt fate here. I mean, there was four, 14 years between ones before then. Seattle Storm wrapped up the WNBA regular season. On Friday night, they blew out the Lynx on Sylvia Fowles' day in Minneapolis, her last home game period because the Lynx ended up not making the playoffs. Uh, that clinched the number four seed and home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs against the Washington Mystics. Storm still played all their starters, played to win Sunday in Las Vegas. It was a competitive game uh, until late in that one when the Aces pulled away for their second win over the Storm in an eight-day span back-to-back Sundays. Uh, but again, that didn't matter to the Storm at all in terms of seeding. Finished fourth in the WNBA at 22 and 14, tied with Washington. But uh, won- because they won two of three head-to-head meetings, winning at home in June and then splitting back-to-back road games in late July, they held the tiebreaker that ended up determining home court advantage. Uh, in addition to winning a similar number of games, the teams also had similar point differentials. And in fact, Washington slightly better this season in point differential. Mystics went 18 and 7. <laughs> Literally just looking at earthquakes. <laughs> this has become an earthquake pod. I thought we were a Sam Onofrio Hagerty pod, but it turns out we're the earthquake pod. Uh, Washington went 18 and 7 in the 25 games this season, played by Elena Deladon, who rested regularly as part of a management program to get her through the season after playing just three games in 2021 due to a back injury. Deladon had previously opted out of the 2020 bubble season, meaning this is her first playoff series since the Mystics won the 2019 title. Wow. These two teams met in... The Mariners haven't made the playoffs since 2001. Wow. Different. Teams met in the 2018 finals. I think even the Mariners would make it if 8 of 12 teams made the playoffs. (laughs) I really don't know. Uh, The teams met in the 2018 finals, which was a storm sweep. Uh, Ariel Atkins was the lone Washington All-Star this season, but Deladon has an outside chance at all WNBA after playing more in the second half of the season. Uh, Also, their point guard, Natasha Cloud, led the WNBA in assists per game this season for the first time. And our old friend, Alicia Clark, now with the Mystics and promising rookie Shakira Austin, who was drafted third overall, started throughout the season for them at the center, round out their quality starting five. Uh, Austin defending Tina Charles, who spent last season with the Mystics and led the WNBA in scoring for them, will be an interesting matchup. Now, as a reminder of the format, the Storm will host the first two games of this series with a chance for sweep without having to travel at all. But 
one Washington win in games one or two forces the series back to DC for the deciding game three. <laughs> it, is, it is a very interesting decision that happened here. I mean, the pressure is on the storm in these first two games. A hundred percent. I mean, like, especially that because this is by far the closest series. The other three should be relative walkovers. Dallas has come on a little bit as the number six seed, but Connecticut was the best team in the league as the three seed by point differential. Uh, Sue Bird was asked about this today in her media availability and said, I don't think this is a playoff format I would like to see long-term. I think we're on the right path, but figuring this three-game series out would be important. So, Sue knows. I mean, I guess so. It's just funny that Sue Bird's talking about long-term playoff formats. Uh, you know, she's always keeping an eye on the long, uh, beyond. I, I understand, but it's just like, you're probably not going to be there. I don't know. It's been the whole year. I don't know if you've seen. She's, she's definitely not going to be there, but, you know, maybe she buys into an ownership group at some point here. Hello. I think it's a very real possibility. That's not something you know. That's just speculation. Well, I mean, it would, be, it would be against the rules if there was an agreement for Super to buy into store ownership group <laughs> at this point. So I definitely do not know that. Uh, but given that she's invested in the NWSL and has talked about, uh, you know, the importance of supporting women's sports development and team ownership. Which would not NWSL team is she a co-owner of? Gotham City. Oh, God. Yeah. So, so it's she, not going to be the storm. I, I think in this case it would be the storm. Okay. Very, very likely. Okay. It's just okay for her to own a team that competes against her fiance's team in NWSL. That makes sense. That checks out. Uh, what's next for Subert? Maybe we should talk about this next week. Let's save that conversation, I think, for when it's actually over. But my colleague Michelle Vopel did write a piece about this a couple of weeks ago about, you know, what's in the future and why it, why it very likely is not coaching, despite people thinking that. So it's just not, not interested. Really? Yeah. I'm, you said you want to save this for next week, but you're making me want to ask more questions. All right, go, go for it. Well, why is Sue not interested in coaching? She had a taste of it with the Nuggets and just wasn't interested? Well, that was the front office. I think the front office is a possibility. But coaching, A, the amount of travel just does not seem to interest her. And I've listened to a bunch of super podcasts in the last week. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing she's brought up is, like, that experience to her is very similar to playing. And she's already had that playing experience. You know, maybe down the road, it might be more interesting, but not not right now to her. But I mean, definitely, I think the front office element, like she she spent that time with the Nuggets. She thinks like someone in the front office from our conversations. And it was interesting. Uh, I talked to the former Storm coach, Brian Egler last week about Sue. And, uh, you know, he mentioned that they would have these conversations when the Storm were considering moves and that, you know, her her insight was always very useful and that she understood kind of like, even though it personally hurts me to see, you know, one of my teammates, one of my good friends leave the team. Like I understand the bigger picture of this is kind of necessary for the team. She's cold and dead on the inside, (laughs) just like the rest of us, huh? Yes. That's what we've learned. I hear what you're saying. Thinks like a front office executive. Oh no, (laughs) don't, please don't put air quotes around that. Scare quotes. Uh, would that be in the WNBA or in the NBA or elsewhere? TBD. I mean, we'll see. And look, I mean, uh, she's already co-founded this media company together that is covering female athletes and bringing more visibility to women's sports. And that's obviously going to be a big part of what she's doing in her post-playing career. I mean, that's that's the number one thing she's talked about consistently is like taking the platform that she's been given 
over her career and using it to speak for other athletes who maybe don't have that place, female athletes who don't have that same platform. Wouldn't she already increase the platform with, I think the, her final home game against the aces being like one of the most viewed WNBA games. This was actually the final road game. Last Sunday's was the most viewed WNBA game since 2008. So do you think that's because of Sue Bird or do you think there's just a tension on the sport? Oh, I think Sue Bird is a driving force in it without question. So, you know, it's the timing of Sunday and, and a, being on ABC is a big factor in it. So I was still impressed. No, it, it was great. And it, the other interesting thing to watch, by the way, is these crowds for these playoff games will not be as big as the sellout crowds the last two regular season games. This is kind of a thing that I think surprises people. But in the WNBA, it's kind of harder when you don't have this opportunity to sell groups and sell, you know, uh, kind of you're selling single game season tickets all year long. You've got a couple weeks to do it for these playoff games. So I Sunday might get there to a sellout of the, the non upper deck portions of climate pledge. doesn't seem like Thursday going up against the Seahawks preseason game is, is even going that to be that was not very convenient. A for sellout. No. So, okay. This is part of why the WNBA is plan- making plans to extend the regular season to 40 games next year, not to expand the playoffs. I think that's a good call. Like making everything they can do to make the season feel more legit, I think is the most important thing. The attention is starting to be there. This is just the beginning right sure. now. We're going to be talking WNBA expansion pretty soon here. Yes, that's that's on the table for sure. I, I think that's going to happen very quickly. Like WNBA is going to be in five, 10 years in a totally different place. It, it'll be the type of situation where maybe not like the average person will know who the WNBA champion is, but there are going to be a lot of household name WNBA players. I think so, yeah. More so than even baseball players or something like that. I mean, how many baseball players have as many ads as Sue Bird has? Do Does to... Sue Bird have that many ads? There have yes. been a lot of baseball ads when you look at it. Have there? I mean, Dairy Queen and Subway and people like that. True. They've been going pretty hard on the baseball stuff. But it's different players, I feel like, for all of them. Sue, Sue specifically is getting a lot. That was my other question. Is is Sue Bird the most... I would have guessed it was maybe Diana Taurasi. Is Sue Bird the most famous WNBA player ever? Yeah, I mean, I think possibly so. I mean, Cheryl Swoops is Lisa obviously Leslie. way up there. Lisa Leslie is way up there. She's was Cheryl Swoops even ads. really what you would call a WNBA player, though? Cheryl Swoops? Or maybe I'm thinking of Cheryl Miller. Yes, you're thinking yeah. of Cheryl Miller. Did not she coached in the W and she did not play in it. Uh, Cheryl won three MVPs. <laughs> but like it, it was definitely sort of the like neophyte stages of the WNBA. I mean she played in the league like thirteen years, I think. Maybe fourteen. It was definitely year twelve when she was in Seattle. All right, quickly on UW football, uh, we learned last week that Jackson Kirkland will miss the opening game for UW against Kent State as a condition of the NCAA reinstating his eligibility after he entered the NFL draft. Probably not a big deal. People being mad about this, like, truly, who cares? I mean, look, are the NCAA rules dumb and arbitrary? But they could have easily ruled him entirely ineligible, and they. so let's be thankful for... Well, and also it's the game against Kent State. It is also that. Uh, also got good news after defensive tackle Ulumo Ale was feared to have seri- suffered a season- serious injury in practice. Uh, we learned he'll be out a couple of weeks, according to Kalen DeBoer, but uh, expected back in time for the opener. And then DeBoer said he plans to choose the starting quarterback ahead of the Kent State Hello. game to avoid distractions, likely next week after the team's second scrimmage. Wow. 
Something Pete Carroll will not commit to. Well, Pete Carroll is dealing with some quarterback distractions. Let's get into that. Get well soon to Drew Locke, who was set to start on Thursday as a scheduled part of the Seahawks quarterback competition, but tested positive for COVID-19 after working with the first team at Tuesday's practice and will miss this game. I've also have some questions about this timing here. Like, Drew Locke practiced and was ruled out after a positive test within like an hour after practice? There's not mandatory testing it. Yeah, so like how quickly did he feel symptoms afterwards? He must have finished the practice and been like, oh shit, I'm sick. Yeah. I feel like that's But still, like, is it rapid PCR that they're confirming that? Who knows? It's kind of a quick turnaround. They probably used a swab test and it was a positive and they're like, okay. Or a couple. I feel like you wouldn't announce it until you were very confident. They, it was they, the CX have access to rapid I, PCR yes, tests. Yes, they do. Yes. Like, I don't. I, I don't. Who cares? Like, but the, the real issue to me is that I was excited to see Drew Locke. <laughs> I legitimately was like, somehow, some way, I've become Team Drew Locke out of nowhere. There's some alchemy that Pete Carroll has had where I'm like, I'm fired up to go see Drew Locke play. And I was like, I was legitimately like kind of bumped going to this preseason game being like, I guess Drew Locke's not going to play. Like, I just can't even imagine the radius to make a preseason game less interesting. <laughs> You're like, we've got Geno Smith and we've got Jacob Eason, but watch the right tackle play. You know what I mean? Like, that is truly what they're trying to sell me here in the second preseason game. I mean, it'll be interesting to see Jacob Eason play. It will not. I've seen Jacob Eason play. I, I have too, but it's been a minute. I choose not to watch. <laughs> Are you going, you're just going home after Gino's done? <laughs> no, I don't want to see Gino play either. <laughs> We're still going to the game, aren't you? It's just it's for baby fantasy genius. On Sunday, or on Saturday, I should say, at Pittsburgh, uh, Gino Smith, very accurate during the first half as quarterback. Not a, not a lot of big plays, some drops that hurt him early in this. In that stint. And then in classic Seahawks offense fashion, which, by the way, I feel like there's a, a lot of people that are like, oh, you know, everything you dislike about the Seahawks offense, how it works, oh, is all because of Russell Wilson. Because they've changed offensive coordinators, and there's no other variable in here that's been the same through Russell Wilson's entire time but Russell Wilson. Nope, can't think of any other individual. It's also, sometimes who... football is just frustrating. There's no team that you watch unless you have fucking Patrick Mahomes. I bet Chiefs fans are oh, frustrated watching football. Without question, but it's interesting that it's just the same things. Because uh-huh. if it was different things, yes. it would be interesting. But the Seahawks still can't fucking run screen passes. I mean, maybe they'll, they'll come it's out in the regular season. season game. They still start slowly and only get moving when they actually pass the ball in the two-minute drill. I don't. I would not take that much from that. I'm just saying, there's a lot of, a lot of people out there have had a lot of Russell Wilson ticks. And they, you know what? We're, we're going to see. Of course, who's going to be right about Russell Wilson digs? Obviously, people are going to be wrong. Well, hopefully some people are going to be right You're about Wilson. You're boldly saying that Russell Wilson is a good quarterback and that the Seahawks are a frustrating team to watch without Russell Wilson. I'm boldly saying that not with anything that went wrong Russell with the Seahawks Wilson. on offense was Russell Wilson's fault. Uh, anyways, we'll, we'll see. This is going to be a longer-term thing that we're going to view. I've moved into the category of... The Seahawks should not have traded Russell Wilson, especially heading into a season when they have a favorable schedule. Man, I read the Football Outsiders Almanac chapter on them, 
And it just really infuriated me all over again to see how good they were in DVOA last year. And their response was, let's trade the fucking quarterback. But also, I think we can be honest with ourselves that the Seahawks probably were never going to win another Super Bowl with Russell Wilson. Sure. They should have tried, and they would have been competitive. The Saints never won another fucking Super Bowl with Drew Brees. But you know what? It was still fun to have Drew Brees as your quarterback for yeah, a while. I was excited looking back with regret. Yeah, there might be a few plays that they look back on regret with regret. Well, no, 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 but like, regret. No, we should have treated Drew Brees. Exactly. Regret. I'm not saying that. Yes. But, but I've also moved to the perspective of like, it, it, I understand the logic of what they were doing when they did it and why they did it. And Russell Wilson probably is entering into a new phase of his career as a quarterback. Where this, he's, is a, this is a new acknowledgement for you that quarterback aging does exist. I, I think he will still be a very, very good quarterback for like another five years. And But the reality was, the problem is not Russell Wilson. The problem is Pete Carroll in the front office. And so... That's the same thing where I've talked about that I don't think it makes sense having a DK Metcalf if you're going to have Drew Locke throwing to him and Geno Smith throwing to him. But that's the problem is that it's not about these players. It's about the people who are putting the players together and coaching the players. So if those people are still going to be there, you might as well try to tailor the roster for what they want to do or be so fucking bad that they get fired. And that is what we're looking at this year because this team is going to be so fucking bad. I don't think they're going to be good. Don't think they're going to be good. So uh, you watched this preseason game. Was there anything else that you took away from it? I mean, there were some positives for sure. So let's talk about Drew Locke for a second. Uh, He played the entire second half. Really started out very strong. Was pushing the ball downfield in a way that Geno Smith was not to a degree. Also getting some big plays, I guess, out of both the run game and some run after catch from Bo Melton in particular. But... uh, you know, we saw, I think, some of what had made him effective at times during the, the scrimmage that they had at Lumen Field. And then he committed a fum- sack fumble that, uh, strip sack that basically lost the game for them. So that was kind of the like classic Drew Locke. I, I, the, the, the ceiling is much higher for his production, but the floor is also much lower as compared to Geno Smith, which is why... Geno Smith also started three games last year and lost. Well, apparently there was a... St- I, I read this secondhand, but in Shield Kapadia's story today on on The Ringer, his debut for The Ringer. So there we go. toast to third Pelton brother, Shield Kapadia, uh, that these Seahawks... This was from Football Outsiders Almanac as well, but I hadn't gotten to the individual player capsules that Geno Smith in the games he started, the Seahawks averaged 25.4 yards per drive, which was the least in the NFL. There we go. So, But the completion percentage was high. That was the thing that I took away from this, which is if you're looking at the wrong stats, which I guarantee you that the Seahawks are looking at the wrong stats, they're going to see something that they like in Geno Smith. But See, I don't know if they're even looking at completion percentage. I, I mean, they are probably, but I think I, they're, they're mostly looking at turnovers. And maybe it's turnovers. But also, didn't Geno Smith have turnovers that lost them two games? Including he fumbled in Pittsburgh yeah. to lose the game. He, the Rams game, he threw an interception that he came in, right? I mean, that wasn't his fault, but yes. Sure. That was off the receiver's hands. Well, did Drew Locke ask to be sacked? He failed to adjust his protection or go to his hot read. I mean, it was that play was on Drew Locke. And then the fumble in Pittsburgh. Yes. Like, I don't... Geno Smith will... Bad quarterbacks are going to commit turnovers. Also, this, let us not forget, punts are turnovers. That is correct. I, I, I continue to think, especially now with this COVID setback, that Geno Smith will start the season as quarterback and will not finish it. 
I I actually don't agree. What we'll do see about COVID, but the, you that, think Locke is going to win this competition? I think he has won this competition. He clearly did. He's going into the second. Do the most important. No, Pete Carroll said this was pre-planned that they were always going to have Geno Smith start weeks one and three, and Drew Locke start, or maybe it was Geno start week one and Drew Locke start two week two, and then we'll see where the competition stands going into week three. Pete Carroll says a lot of things. Pete Carroll does say a lot of say a lot of things, but Drew Locke had been consistently working with the second unit in practice for weeks, so. I think Drew Locke has earned the starting job through this training camp, through the... You don't believe that? Or you don't believe that because of what Pete Carroll is saying? I don't Drew believe Drew Locke that... has been, from everything we've heard and everything we've seen, Drew Locke has been a better quarterback than Geno Smith. I don't believe that Pete Carroll thinks that. I think that Pete Carroll thinks it's been close and that the tie goes to Geno because of his experience in the system and his greater reliability. So that's that's my prior at this point. And again, I, I'm willing, I would be happy to bet you that Drew Locke starts week one against Denver. Oh, are we going to make the same bet as Mike Sean and Christopher Kidd on the uh, what, Seahawks what man-to-man they podcast? Make? They have a $100 bet riding on who starts week one. Who who has whom? Mike Sean has Gino. Yeah. Chris has No, has I'm not going to be making that bet. Oh, but, uh, I guess I should have made the bet first and then told you the story. No, I, I wasn't going to anyway, because the COVID thing puts it, it's that is a factor. Yes. It's one of Drew Locke's chances. Drew Locke's real chance to like stand out was this Thursday against the Bears. And he's losing that opportunity. I'm going to give you the Kevin Domus on what, what week it, Drew Locke becomes the starter. It is also, it, it's also a chance for Geno Smith to play badly too, though. They're gonna, so they're Sometimes gonna, being seen more is not always a good thing. They're going to play Arizona at Arizona and then the, the Tampa Bay game in Germany back-to-back ahead of their bye. I think that's when the change gets made. Oh, it's happening way earlier than that. Well, you also thought he was going to start at the start of the season, so that would be week 12. In his oh, bye. there's no way. If this, we're doing, I'll bet on that. If we're doing... Over-under? Over-under on what week, Gino? Or, uh, well, what week are you offering? Let me, let me look at the schedule. Hold okay. on. I was thinking week two of the preseason. I my assessment of Pete Carroll's assessment of Geno Smith. There are a pair of fairly easy games back to back, but I think if the Seahawks the Atlanta lo- and Detroit game, I yes. think if the Seahawks lose to Atlanta on September 25th to go 0 and 3, I don't I don't see how Geno really that that is probably the easiest stretch of the season right there is hosting Atlanta at Detroit at New Orleans. I would say that Drew Locke will be starting by October. All right, I'll take that bet. Okay. We now have two Felton Gas bets. <laughs> what is our other bet? We haven't bet nothing. But uh, the DK Metcalf yards per game. Okay. Uh, that it's less going to be less than 1,000? 1,000, whatever the equivalent is at, is over a 17-game season. 1,000 divided by 17. Oh, this Lord. math is inconceivable to do on the fly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that 17th game throws everything out. <laughs> I mean, even 16 is not really that round a number to divide by. I didn't factor in that second game. No, there's no way. that. So you think he's he's going to be starting by, like, when? My prediction is after the bye. In week 12? Yeah, it's 58.9 yards per game that uh, DK has to average for me to win this bet. Okay. All right, so the positives from the preseason game is you alluded to earlier 
the debut of Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, and generally the offensive line play was quite strong. Uh, created a lot of holes in the running game. Was TJ Watt playing? Sec- no. I mean, this, no, that was part of what was interesting about this game is I feel like both teams approached it pretty similarly. Like Pittsburgh was also playing all their quarterbacks. Their starter, Kenny Pickett, came in in the second half. Uh-huh. Uh, we're supposed to laugh at that? That's a joke. No, I mean, Kenny Pickett may, may well start, but he was the third quarterback who saw action in this one. They booed uh, Rudolph. When Mason played. Rudolph. It's just like, why? It's the same fucking shit as playing Geno Smith. What are you doing this for? Uh, they played, you know, they played a few of their starters, but not many of them, as the Seahawks did wisely. So the offensive line in Charles Cross and Abe Lucas in particular uh, kept their quarterbacks clean on a lot of third downs. When Geno Smith had issues on third down, it was because of the fact that he Sucks. couldn't find anyone oh. open and then decided to try to pull the ball down and it was unclear exactly what he was doing in some of those situations. I love it. But it love wasn't it. because he was getting immediate pressure off the edge. The only time that happened was is the Drew Locke fumble, which again was his inability to adjust not on the offensive line. Uh, the running game, again, Ken Walker the third wasn't particularly impressive in the first half of this one. We learned on Monday that he's, or on Tuesday, that he's dealing with a hernia issue, and now the hope is just to uh, get get him healthy for the season opener. But DJ Dallas and Travis Homer came in in the second half and both ran the ball quite well. Turns out that running backs... like. Seahawks have fans have such a vision of like, oh, DJ Dallas and Travis Homer can't possibly run the ball. They can only be third down backs. And I just don't think this is true. The Ken Walker pick is just, it is. The reason, thinking about this, the reason that people are so harsh on drafting running backs early is a running back basically only has value through their first contract, right? Yes. Let's say that Ken Walker misses half the season with this injury, which is not unheard of. If he eventually needed surgery, surgery to repair it, yes, you were talking about an eight, that is a ten week timeline. Significant amount of time to lose when a running back's value is more or less worthless, especially vis a vis their cap number by the second contract, right? Yeah, like you're talking about losing half of one of the four seasons that matter. I mean, I think probably it's the eh, it might yeah rookie season might be as good as any. I mean, I, for a running back, I don't. My expectation is not that a, like running backs get better in their second year. It's kind of just, are you playing or are you not playing? I, I told it. you this at one point that I ran like yards per carry. Yeah, and it was when you're like 14, <laughs> something like that. It was in high school. <laughs> Let running backs come out early, please. It's like by the time that Steve Sarkeesian is willing to start recruiting you, that's oh. when you're at your peak. So it's like Sark wasn't the only one, for the record. The the reality is this Ken Walker pick already, even before he's played in a game, looks like a disappointment. Irrelevant of how he is as a running back. Yeah. The, the season, it, it is starting, the, the combination back-to-back of the Ken Walker injury and the Drew Locke COVID, it just feels like this might be like season from hell season for the Seahawks. Which long-term would actually be the best thing long term would be great but we're also talking about like the bright spots for the team are you know you take some of the best tackles that you've ever seen as rookies they're not going to be that good of players when they're competing against real competition you know not likely 
like but again, it's better than them playing Portland. No, we would rather them play well. But if we're looking at this and we're like, yeah, the Seahawks are going to be good this year because their right tackle played well, that is a misguided perspective about how football works. I agree. Uh, we saw some flashes, I think, from the front five, the players who played there. Boye Amafe, most notably, uh, had a strip sack. Had, it was was pretty impressive and had those flashes. That's more exciting. In terms of rookie performance? Yes. The tackles, too, but, like... I mean, he, we'll see how much Mafe is actually going to play. Like, he's behind Uchenna Wosu and... Uh, why, why am I blanking on Daryl Taylor? Daryl Taylor. Uh, and then Miles Adams, I thought, was quite impressive at defensive tackle in this game. Maybe not a great sign for LJ Collier's chances of making the roster here as a backup uh, interior defensive lineman. Then in the secondary... We saw the Seahawks rookie cornerbacks really get welcome to the NFL in this one. Like everybody was so excited about Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen during Seahawks practice. And I still think like, look, again, as rookie cornerbacks, probably ahead of schedule. Not sure you want to ask them to be starting right away. And they they got uh, shown up a little bit at times in this. Woolen most notably had a play where he was playing man everyone else in the secondary was playing zone and that resulted in pittsburgh's first touchdown in this game uh bryant got beat by george pickens on a play where he pushed off and scored a touchdown and uh then some tackling issues for both of those guys cool i mean look they're not gonna they're not gonna be starting week one barring you know assuming that but there's this is reasonable what we're talking this is the chatter that we're having right now these are the bright spots that we're looking at as a team we're just like, Tariq Woolen, let's go. You know what I mean? Just like, wow, the Seahawks are really building something here. I mean, look, this is, gets back to what we talked about at the draft. The Seahawks draft, simultaneously, A, was, aside from picking a running back in the second round, great for their future. And B, made it less likely they would be good this year because they were starting potentially two tackles as rookies instead of re-signing Dwayne Brown, who got $9 million guaranteed from the Jets this week, or Brandon Shell, who is still unsigned. Yeah. No, and I think the reality is Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant may end up being very good players, but, like, everybody needs to cool the fuck down about what this team is. The, like, underdog, underdog I mean, mentality. This is what everyone does during the preseason. Are you, like, have you never watched what, the preseason before? We have never had a preseason that was as bleak quarterback-wise as the, since Traveris Jackson. I mean, Yes. But I'm saying other teams in the NFL have situations that are this bleak. Like, people are still going to get excited. Who? Uh, Name one. Yeah, no, I mean, the Seahawks might be worse. But I'm, like, saying, like, you're going to watch the hard knocks, and they're going to show some exciting Lions plays. They actually the only team. (laughs) It's like, yeah, you're really riding with God for another year, huh? (laughs) All right. Although, I don't know. I watched that first episode, and as much as I enjoyed it, I was like, oh, I am definitely picking the under for the Detroit Lions. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Like Jamal Williams is out there crying in the huddle to try oh, to get guys to like it. I loved buy it. into the fact that they're wearing pads in practice. Was wasn't was not super encouraging oh, to me. Man, what do you think the over under is for the Lions? I don't think it's high. That's what, <laughs> but I'm still taking the under. I think they actually might be the only other team where it's just like, oh lord, how many picks did they have where they could have drafted a quarterback? I mean, could have drafted a quarterback. Probably a lot of them. They had two first round picks, notably. I just don't get it. I don't get how I we're mean, going into the season and it's Drew Locke and Geno Smith. Oh, you're talking about the Seahawks. No, I'm talking about the Lions. Oh, okay. Right? The Lions could have snagged, like, 
who was going into the draft a possible first round pick at quarterback. But as we talked about at the time, the fact that not just the Lions and the Seahawks passed on all these quarterbacks, other than Kenny Pickett, who did go in the first round. The fact and that, his third on the depth chart in Pittsburgh. No, he's he's taking snaps with the ones. I, yeah. I saw he moved up to number two on the depth chart. I thought it was one. No, I think he moved up okay. to number two. And it wasn't wasn't to do anything with ability or whatever, with play. Oh, it's only a matter of time. Kenny Pickett was their most impressive quarterback without question. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't like again. That bar is not set super high. That like, oh, you were better than Mason Rudolph. The Mason Rudolph Trubisky. bar. It sounds like two different names because he has two last names. He eclipsed the Mason Rudolph bar. Oh, I don't think that one's going to the podcast glossary. Well, just wait. Just wait. Oh no! See how excited Mason Rudolph I will consider it. Uh, the fact that like every team repeatedly passed on Desmond Ritter and Malik Willis and the guy who's third on the depth chart in uh, Matt Crowell. Yeah. But they're very excited about him in Carolina. I'm sure they are. Like that, that makes it like, look, these teams are waiting for next year to get their quarterback. It's a long time until next year. <laughs> it sure is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we should talk quickly about the trade the Seahawks made earlier this week after a report by my ESPN colleague Brady Henderson that they plan to trade him, the Seahawks, or to waive him, I should say. The Seahawks traded Nickel Ugo Amadi to the Eagles for wide receiver J.J. Ortega Whiteside. There we go. Amadi played better than 50% of the Seahawks snaps each of the last two seasons, but was supplanted in the slot by the return of Justin Coleman. And with Marquise Blair and Kobe Bryant also capable of playing there, it became expendable. His base salary jumped from 850k last season to 2.5 million in the final Oof. season of his rookie contract due to the proven performance escalator clause of the NFL collective bargaining agreement based on that play time. Uh, Ortega Whiteside was drafted by Philadelphia in the second round in 2019 out of Stanford. Seven picks. I remember that. Ahead of DK Metcalf. I remember thinking he was going to be an awesome player, too. Oh, we sure did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was a big-time red zone threat at Stanford, scoring 28 touchdowns, including 14 in his final season. I had written down 41 in his final season. Really <laughs> impressive. Really against type performance. <laughs> oh, TP simulated that one. <laughs> He had five catches for 130 yards and a win over UW at home in 2017, but was held to one catch for 11 yards in a 2018 loss at Husky Stadium. Uh, is a rookie, he had 10 catches for 169 yards total, has played largely on special teams the past two seasons, totaling six catches for 121 yards, and had moved to tight end this offseason in an attempt to jumpstart his career. Oof. Is it just literally J.J. Ortega-Whiteside? Can't create separation because of speed, or what? It, what is the issue here? I mean, I, I haven't watched, paid close enough attention to the Eagles to know that. I feel like catching has probably been somewhat of an issue as well. <laughs> you know what he's been good at, though? What is that? Oh, blocking. There we go. That's why he moved to tight end. Uh, he's owed just $1.2 million base salary in the final season of his rookie contract, so if he does make the roster, the Seahawks will save some money relative to Amade. And he can do some blocking at wide receiver for DJ Dallas? And it, in, he will be, sounds like, playing wide receiver for the Seahawks rather than tight end because they already have a Stanford, an ex-Stanford player who was his teammate in Colby Parkinson. There we go. Tight end. Really reunited the Parkinson or Thega Whiteside combo. I'm sure Ben is happy. <laughs> I don't know if Ben is happy. <laughs> I think he's he in San Diego. Well, yes, he's happy with that. <laughs> I don't know if he's happy with the Seahawks. Chilling in Slam Diego, I'd be happy too. I thought it was funny though. He said San Diego still got it, but it seemed kind of gray in that photo, didn't it? I noticed that also. Yeah, I mean the beach looked lovely. 
I think it probably cleared up. I'm it was sure like it did. 84 in Seattle today, but it was a little bit cloudy in the morning. That's true. You know how it is. It was still warm enough in the afternoon for us to be cracking in the evening for us to be cracking dingers against 10 year olds. Absolutely. My so. favorite pastime. Yeah, that will that almost was a coach's corner. Uh I I just truly have a hard time caring about the Seahawks team. Yeah, my level of emotional investment is not as strong as it once was. You know what did make the broadcast more watchable on Saturday? What was that? Michael Bennett being Hello. part of it. I mean, also Michael Robinson in the booth. But Bennett is the uh, on the sidelines at times asking Pete Carroll, so what everybody wants to know, why did you trade me? I was going to say, why did you trade him for a fifth-round pick? Yeah. Are you kidding me? What did Pete have to say about that? He didn't say anything. He just laughed about it. Pete had nothing to on. say. I, I, really, I assume they've had that conversation by this point. I really, I really liked Pete having to uh, atone for his sins oh. against Michael Bennett. Look, you know, Pete is happy to trade someone or move on from them and then welcome them back with open arms after their he's got that career. He's got that executive mentality that Subert has. <laughs> no wonder he praised Subert's career. <laughs> Big fan, no big fan. Wonder. He's like cold-hearted, cold-hearted. Sometimes you have to make the hard decisions as an executive. <laughs> like trading, trading one of your best defensive players for a fifth-round pick. Sometimes you the, have to make the really bad decisions. Whether that was the right decision. Sometimes you just have to sit back and make the decision to pass up on players that would have loved to be drafted by you and to select Rashad Penny. There's, there's always a reason. Doesn't mean it's a good one. <laughs> Sometimes that reason's name is Gary Jennings. Oh, look. <laughs> Hindsight is always twenty twenty. Uh huh. Oh Lord. Uh, we will see this. I mean, I'm going to be be at a preseason game. We'll see what it's like. We'll see if it is. Uh, I'm very curious to see what the attendance is going to be like for that one. I th- I think it's going to be slow, and I think the season in general is going to be after week one. Week one is going to be oh, bonkers. Week one, yes. But uh, you know what I'll be wearing in week one? It'll be a Seahawks jersey, number three, baby. Yes. Uh, but uh, beyond that, I think that the attendance is going to wane very quickly throughout the I mean, season. It's, it'll be matchup dependent, but yes. But I just, I'm, I'm starting to get sort of like season from hell vibes. And I truly wonder what the record is that it's bad enough that they move on from Pete and John. I don't know if it's necessarily a win loss record. I think, I think it's vibes related. I will tell you, they announced the starting quarterback and he got COVID within an hour <laughs> and they drafted Again, a running back. Not in the second the round. They drafted a running back. In the second round, and he is already injured. So, if you're wanting to know how the vibes are, <laughs> they're not good. Uh, well, on that note. Thanks for listening. Manners vibes are phenomenal. Excellent. Thanks. <laughs>